Well, hello and welcome back to A Dream Achieved, the new podcast from the Matchroom Boxing Podcast Collection, episode number four now. I'm delighted to be joined by Cal Yafai. Cal, how are you, mate? I'm very good, thanks. Good, good to see you, mate. It's been a, a month or so mm-hmm. from LA. Let's start off maybe at the bottom and we'll work our way up to the positive side of this chat when you did hang up your gloves. Yeah. Just a, a month on, where's your, your mindset at? How are you feeling about everything? It's never a way how you want to go out. Obviously, I'd already knew what I was going to do. I was going to retire, but you want to finish it with a win. And then it's all like it's been a great, great journey. But then, you know, you're losing, losing that kind of passion. It's like, but I knew I knew beforehand um, what I was going to do. And I, I always wanted to um, retire on my own terms. I didn't want boxing to retire me. So I kind of grumble at how, how things went. You went into that with the last dance inscribed in the back of your, your shorts and your, your robe. So like you say, you, you know, you mentally accepted that was the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, How long before? Probably about three or four months before. I thought to myself, I've achieved what I wanted. I'm not getting any younger. I don't feel the same. I'm happy. I'm content with life outside of boxing as well. So it was a perfect time. Yeah, and I guess going through the, you know, the motions of fight week, making weight and the actual fight itself has probably allowed you to, to come to that decision even more easier rather than... You know, maybe if you got the win, then another three or four months pass, and you think, oh, yeah, maybe one more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can't, I, I knew. Don't get me wrong, I trained well. Everything was good. But I've, I always felt like I wasn't what I was, you yeah. know, in, tra- in training. I was yeah. always that step behind, and that, that you know, that kind of made it easier for me. It made it a lot easier. Yeah, like you say, going out on your own terms, and that yeah. no doubt would have helped uh, come to that conclusion. We're going to talk about your defining night rather than... Uh, the fight just gone, so don't worry, it's a positive spin on things. Uh, I'm going to take you back around the events of December the 10th, 2016, everything leading up to it, the fight itself, and then sort of the aftermath. So let's start off from the very beginning. Cal Yafai getting into boxing. I believe it was your brother Gamal who sort of showed you the way, so to speak. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that was it. Gamal, we used to always watch Nasbox as kids. My mum wanted to get Gamal into something that burned some energy because he was very hyperactive, always getting into some sort of mischief and yeah got involved in boxing and then it's a few weeks le- about three or four weeks later i followed him down you didn't have that same energy burning that needed to be rubbed off no no i never i never i was pretty cool i was pretty um pretty calm quiet kid um i had no interest in boxing or any any other sports really and that was terrible to be honest i was proper shit really at boxing when i first started i won my first fight lost my second won my third and then i lost about seven or eight in a row did you ever think at that point, oh, this is not for me? Yeah, even mom, even mom was like, yeah, maybe this ain't for you. So, oh, wow. Wow. Um, Did that give you more motivation, though, knowing that? I, I just thought to myself, you know what? I seen one of the lads I know on the bus on the way from school, and he said to me, you should come down and add you. And I was like, where's your gym? And he said, Spark Brook, which was about, we weren't, too, we weren't too far from me. It was about 15 minutes on the bus. And I was like, yeah, I'll go down. So I went there to Birmingham City. So it was a different gym? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Franco Sullivan, who's trained all three of us. And he trained Rob as well, Rob McCracken. So I was like, yeah, I'll go down there. And it was like a proper boxing gym, like a youth club, like the gym I was at. I was like, yeah, this is the one. Then I had about 20 fights for him, won them all. And then I lost one and I won another 20, 30. And then, yeah, the rest was history in my amateur career. What was the difference between the atmosphere of you know, the youth club to the, the boxing gym? Was it the environment? Was it the people? Was it just everything about it? That was just a, basically a sports hall with about six kids in there and a couple of bags where this was a proper boxing gym, like one of them old sweaty gyms. A serious place. Yeah, like yeah. you see over here. Yeah. 
um, like if you were watching Rocky and it smelled like a proper gym and every, all the pictures and everything, I was like, yeah, this is a proper gym. That was it then. I'd got about 100 and, 160, 170 points at that gym. Just want to go back to the bit about your mum where she put Gamal in the boxing gym. Was there any other sports that you guys were, were playing? Did she try and weave you into football or anything like that? Or was it... Just... No, no, no. We just... First sport was boxing and that, that was it. Galal played football, played semi-pro football, really talented football player, but he was just too small. You mentioned, you know, at the start, you wasn't very good, but then you picked it up. Was there like a, a flick of the switch where you thought, okay, I'm onto something here? Was there like a, either a fight or maybe a pep talk from one of the coaches or maybe a spa? Just the flick of the switch where you thought, okay, this is this is for me. The thing is, Franco Sullivan, he's, he, must be, he must be near enough 90 now. He was like, you've got plenty of heart. Like you'd always go forward and you know you'd give it everything, but you know you don't want to you don't want to just start throwing punches for no reason. You know, swinging with a prayer and hoping you know you land something. You've got good feet and you've got you've got big heart. Let's try and work on this. And he, he basically taught me the fundamentals of boxing, and then um, yeah, that just changed everything. Just learn how to actually actually box instead of fight. I think that's so important actually, where you've got you know a senior giving you that. That guidance. Yeah, yeah, of course. Now, we're seeing it a lot more, and we're obviously invested in community work and stuff like that, and you see, you know, the boxers going into the gyms these days. One one conversation, one chat could change someone's life forever. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, I always talk to kids and I always try and give them that, that, that bit of posi- positivity to be able to turn their lives around. Definitely, and boxing, you know, we, we know it's a, it's a bit of a cliche, I suppose, you know, boxing changes lives, but it's genuinely true, isn't it? 100%. It's, it's mad because, like... If people could see where we were when we were kids coming through and where we lived and what we had compared to, you know, how things are now, it's uh, it's mad. You mentioned there, you know, over 100 of fights. We're going to fast forward a bit here. So we're going to go through your amateur career to Beijing, where you did represent Team GB. And you lost out to the silver medalist in the end, Lafita, I think the name was. Um, yeah. Just talk to us about your mindset from that moment. Where was you going into it? And then where was you at? Um, I was like a kid, really. I was on the t- the team. It was, oh, the kids, the lads just seemed a lot older than me on the team. They were like 23, 24, whatever. And then you got me and Billy Joe qualified in Italy that year. We were 18-year-olds. And we were like kids. But we were just good enough. I think we were both were like 2012 fighters but for the, for the Olympics in 2012. But we qualified. It's like before. Yeah, yeah. We, we, fa- we were fast-tracked. Yeah, I'd just come across, you know... And, a very Cuban who was yeah. in his early 30s and I was a kid and he was exp- too experienced and too good. Sort of old man you a little bit. Yeah, 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 100%. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned about the, the 2012, you know, maybe that was earmarked for you and you obviously got the, the cycle beforehand. When you lost that fight in Beijing, was it then just all systems go for 2012? Yeah. I, I, I watched all my teammates go pro and I thought, what do I do? But I was thought, I thought I was a young kid as a flyweight I thought to myself, if I turn pro now, I'll be done very early in my career. I'll be, I'll be still probably, my, you know, 25, 26. So I could be, I could be done. So I thought I'd stay, get some more experience, and hopefully medal at 2012. And actually qualified for the London Olympics at the Worlds, but I lost to Andrew Zalby in a box off because we both qualified together. He just beat, he just beat me on the day, and that was it. Was you ordered to fight him? Was it three times? Three times, yeah. You so um, I boxed him the once, and then I couldn't make the weight the next day. Right, simple as that. It was just, yeah, it was just too hard for me. I thought I'd bulk up, put the weight on, and be able to use my strength and size. But yeah, it, 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 I couldn't get it. I couldn't get the weight off, no matter what I did. Um, and I was devastated because I stayed for so long. Four year, yeah, it's a whole cycle. And I thought, you know, I'd boxed him twice before. I'd beat him twice before. Yeah. I thought, 
yeah, I'll beat him again. I've got his number. But he was on form and I wasn't. And he, he just he just beat me to it. Yeah, sometimes yeah, just timing just doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah. But when I look back at it now, I'll, I wouldn't complain the way things went because I turned, turned pro. I made sure um, very, I made my debut. Very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made my debut before the games. How important was that mentally to do that? Yeah, that was big for me. I actually went to, actually went to the Olympics to watch as well. Okay. Went to the semi-finals. Yeah, I, I watched it. I went there and I watched it with Eddie. Was that to see some of your teammates, or was it more of a you know uh, an exercise to to flush it out your system, or a bit of both? Maybe a bit of both. Yeah. But mainly, it was just I was just invited to go down, and not, I went down. Yeah. I you bought. Me- yeah. I walk You mentioned you watched it with Eddie. When did talk uh, communication and talks begin for you to turn pro? Presumably, it was before the Selby fight, right? It was probably in the background. It was after. Right. Okay. It was after. Yeah. It was beginning of beginning of 2012. It was like January time. I you went mean, down and seen Eddie. You come to the office? Yeah. Yeah, you're one of the, the day ones, really, when you think of it. It's not too many. Yourself, Callum Smith, I guess, um, AJ. That aside, so your, your brother as well, Gamal. Um, used... Yeah, Gamal, Gamal was 2014. Yeah. I'm trying to think, actually, who else has sort of seen it through with Matchroom, but that's probably for another podcast. Um, you mentioned you made your debut in July 2020, uh, 2012. Yeah. Very active start to life as a professional. I think you had six fights in six months, right? Something like that. Yeah, five months. You don't you don't see that activity anymore. Was that was that like a, an agreement from yourself, from Eddie, from the start that you know I need to be boxing every month? Was it just the way opportunities presented itself? No, when I sat down with Eddie, when I met him in January, you know, we he sent me um, like a breakdown of you know a deal kind of thing. I was getting looked after well for with GV. I actually didn't turn pro. It didn't agree deal with Eddie until I think it was like April, May. Right. And then he just done the Sky deal or whatever. And then, yeah. So you, you just plan your hand a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But, uh, Only fight I should do. Exactly. I made my debut in July 2012 on the Cowbrook on the card in Sheffield. And then boxed pretty much every month until the January, I think. Uh, yeah, I boxed in July. Then I boxed September, twice in October, November, December, and by that, January. <laughs> that's unheard of these days. By that time, you've had six or seven fights. You won them all. Yeah. That, by that time, the whole Olympic disappointment is well and truly part by now. It's, you know, it's all systems going to program. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. I was getting, I was, you know, I was performing well. I was winning fights. Plenty of stoppages. Everybody was hyped. I remember seeing Adam Smith come to Sheffield, and he said to he said to Robbie, he's like, he's definitely going to be world champion. You know, I was like, you reckon? It's interesting you say that, right? Jumping around a little bit now, I watched the, the fight back, which we're going to discuss in a bit, uh, last night. And there's a bit in between. I don't know if you've ever caught this before. There's a bit in between, I think, round six and seven. Adam Smith, who's obviously in commentary, he's not on the microphone, but you can hear him speaking to either the floor manager or one of the other commentators. And he says, I always said Cal Your Five would win a world title. It's quite a nice little moment where he's just talking sort of peer-to-peer with one of his colleagues. It's a, it's a really nice moment. And it's great to see Adam Smith back as well. After yeah, his, oh yeah, definitely. After definitely. his troubles. But you say someone who's championed you since day one. I'm going to come on to the fight very shortly. But... um yeah, you sort of six or seven and oh, turning into the second year of your professional career, and then titles are on the horizon. You win a couple of these sort of IBF ranking belts and a WBA one as well. At which point did you start to map out with the team, with your coaching team, with Eddie and yourself, and start to say, okay, we want a world title at X number of fights? Um, did it work it out was, like that? No, nah, it wasn't really. We just took, kept going, going, and I think it was just just before about one or two fights before I fought for the world title. It was like. All right, we need to kind of 
find, start to find a champion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we were looking at one, and there was an IBF champion, Joe um, Arroyo at the time. Who lost to Anchor Jazz, didn't Yeah, he, he lost yeah. to Anchor Jazz, and he went to Philippines and, and lost it there. And uh, me lost to him. Then that went quiet. Nothing come come of that. Who else? But yeah, Conception challenged Kota Ko- yeah. in Japan, in Japan yeah. for the title, and then he won that. And that's where I thought I watched that fight, and I thought, yeah, I could beat him. But I thought he could dig, he can punch, and he's strong. But I could beat him. So I believe you text Eddie. I done my I done my research. You yeah, te- you text Eddie immediately after that fight. Uh, something like get me Conception, and Eddie replied, "Did he win?" Yeah, I thought I still got them now. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I still got them. It's funny how things work out. Uh, then Eddie said, "Give me an hour or two or something like that." Made a couple of phone calls, come back to you and said, "We've made initial talks. Things are sort of smoothly kicked off." Yeah. Um, but he said his his, uh, his promoter said he's, he's got a cut. We're going to see the doctor and see how that is. But he just said to me, um, basically, just to let you know, this may move quick. And then yeah, because you had a fight in the October. And I think that was one of the muted dates for that fight. Like you say, the cut held him yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. I guess the fact that he went over to Japan, you know, he hadn't really got outside of Panama all that much. He had a couple of fights in Mexico. Mm. I guess that maybe showed you that he, he would be willing to travel because some champions just happy to sit in the backyard and just yeah, 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 yeah. rack up the No, I, I knew he'd travel. Let's just um, take a step back. You did win the British and Commonwealth titles along the way and moved to 20-0, and 0, I think it was, at the time of the fight. How important was the activity? Because you had three or four fights that year couple of them were early round knockouts, which on paper you probably think, oh, I need I need to get the rounds in. But just going through the camps and, and having a, a fight date, how important was it to have activity leading into that? Yeah, it's massively important. I think it goes, well, I don't think it goes under the radar too much. I think a lot of people in boxing and who know boxing know that it's very important. You mentioned about the IBF champ, uh, Arroyo. Terms were verbally agreed, I believe, yeah. at that time. How disappointing was it when you found out that he had to fight his manager challenger? Yeah, obviously I'm going to be disappointed. I was, I was like a, looking back at now, I was like a, yeah, even though I was like 26, I was a young kid coming through, and I just wanted my shot. So let's yeah, let's talk about conception. Like you say, he won the WBA title in Japan, and he was coming off a 12 round decision defeat to Carlos Quadras, who I think probably only had the one defeat at the time to Chocolatito. Yeah, and he avenged his two defeats to um, Hernan Marquez in Mexico. What did you know about him, sort of? When he won that world title, well, I watched of him. I just thought he's a tough guy. He's gonna come all night, and he can bang. And when I when I showed my brothers like the, the videos on YouTube with like his highlights and that, they were like, "Oh, he can punch." No world title fight should be easy, should it? So nah, went there. He's um two weights, and I was like, "Yeah." I think it's fair to say when the fight was announced, you know, I suppose he was the seasoned pro. You obviously had a sterling amateur pedigree, but I think he had like forty odd fights. Yeah, 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 he was more than seasoned, more than a, a credible world champion. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was, yeah. And uh, he was a tough fighter because he, he actually came in overweight, way way overweight. We'll come on to that. We'll yeah. come on to that. Conception the fighter, his nickname was El Nikika, which translates to the Nicaraguan, which is a bit random considering he's from Panama, but his mum was a Nicaraguan. Rarely left his native, like we just said then, and coming to the UK for the first time ever, actually, for for that fight. The fight was announced, I think, pretty much after your fight in, in yeah. October. So you had, what, six, seven weeks until the fight from that, that moment. I often speak to fighters. When you have a fight penciled in the background and you, you go for another fight, a great example Sam Higginson when he boxed uh, McQuaino in Birmingham a couple of years ago and he had the Brandon Rios fight booked in for Joshua Povetkin at Wembley Stadium. And he went into that fight knowing 
He couldn't get a cut. It was meant to be a routine win, but psychologically, you knowing a world title fight was was next. That fight you had in the October, what was going through your mind? To be honest, I never even thought about it. I just thought I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna fight at home. Happy days. I remember. I remember there was a struggle getting an opponent for it. Yeah, uh, you got it on the Monday, a fight week. Right? Yeah, that was it. Very late. Not well, ideal. Not ideal. There was a, the, then I spoke to John Wish, the matchmaker at the time, and he was like, "This is the only guy. You you might have to come in a couple of pounds heavy because he's gonna come in at eight ten. And I was like, "Bloody ass! I, I box at eight three. Yeah. So I thought I'll come in at eight five, but I don't want to come in any heavy because I don't want to be sluggish. So um, yeah, we got on with it. I never thought of it. The only time I thought to myself, shit, like, was he headbutted me in, like, I think it was the like, second round or something? He actually jumped off and headbutted me. A, a physical, yeah, like deliberate. Yeah, headbutted, deliberate headbutt, yeah. And I thought, shit, I don't want to get caught, don't get caught. But then I did it, so it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> dangerous. Them, them little tick-over fights, they're dangerous. Um, I'm not a big fan, but what do I know? So the fight was officially announced, uh, I think maybe a week or so after that. So it was sort of announced that night. And the whole the whole show was announced, obviously headlined by Anthony Joshua against Eric Molina in Manchester. Um, it's some card, by the way. I was looking. Oh, you know what? Honestly, maybe the best undercard ever in the UK. You know what? People, even people now, are still coming to me. They're like, no one has the best UK card I've ever been to. I was, I, you know, I've ever been to. Let's it's run the best, through it. Never been a better one since. Yeah, I think you could be right. I mean, some of the names: Conor Ben's second fight. There's four fights. Sorry, Katie Taylor's second fight. Scott Quigg was fighting on it. Burton Buglioni, which was That's a war, an absolute <laughs> war. If you've never seen that fight, by the way. Possibly one of the best British title fights in the last sort of 10, 15 years. Um, Callum Smith got a savage knockout against Luke Blackledge, yourself, and poor old Dave Allen had to go in against Lewis Ortiz. And also, we haven't spoke about the, the chief support, which was Derek Chisora and Dillian White, which again was absolute carnage. I think um, we'll come on to the fight night and stuff shortly, but I think you were in between Callum Smith and Quig, maybe, for memory? No, I couldn't tell you. Cool. We'll come on to that anyway, because I've got a few um, a few bits after. So, the fight was obviously a voluntary defence. Was there any options or, or anything for, you know, we, this rematch clause is a hotly discussed these days in boxing. Was was a rematch clause in place back then? No, not that I know. Yeah. Don't, no. I think that's, back then, I, you know what, to be honest, you never really heard of it that much back then. It's only become a thing, in my opinion, that well, was yeah. like five, five years or so. Yeah, maybe. Talk to us about training camp in that period. I guess, in a way, it's, you just continued training camp, right? You had a couple of days off, straight back in. Yeah, I think I had three or four days off afterwards. And then, um, yeah, I was back in. Box on the Saturday, I was back in the gym on uh, Wednesday. Was you training for conception in mind in the fight before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had a real good run-up to it? Yeah, I had, a good, I had a good run-up to it. I knew what to expect. And I knew what I was training for, so, yeah, I was training for that all along. Yeah. Who did you spar in the build-up for the fight? Yeah. Who did I spar for that? Stuart Hall was in the ring. Stuart Hall was in the gym right. at the time. I'd done a bit with him. I do, you know what? I sparred with a lot of the GV lads, to be honest, in Sheffield. I think I sparred with Thomas Asamba as well. Okay. Yeah. Very underrated fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's gone on to sort of go full circle and win a title in recent um, months, which is an incredible story in itself. A very tough man. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of the GB fighters. That, you know what? I've always sparred with them as well because of the speed. And the technical ability is weird. You can't get much better than that. No, 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 no. Let's talk about the facilities up at Team GB. Uh, you know, I've been lucky enough in the last 10 years to, to come up and, and see you guys train. Uh, and some of the talent, I'll be honest with you, some of the guys in there, I don't even know who they are, but you just watch them because they're young, up-and-coming stars. The in-house sparring has got to be better than anywhere in the country. Yeah, yeah, the sparring is unbelievable. And they're so quick. You know, 
the train for three rounds. They're so they're, they're so quick and te the technical ability they all have is second to none. Um, and obviously the facilities. I remember first going up there in two thousand and five. I think end of two thousand five. I think it was. So yeah, I'm showing I'm showing uh, my age. God, don't talk too about like age. Half 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 my life I've been going to Sheffield. And you lived on campus, presumably. Uh, I'm, during I'm, the week. I'm at, yeah, during do, do my amateur days as well, and then me and Galal and Gamal um, could get Airbnbs, start getting Airbnb when that first come about. Yeah. Um, and what would you yeah. sort of travel home at the weekends? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I can't say Sheffield or no offense to Sheffield, but when you've been there for so long and you're there to train, you're there to train. Off. I think mentally you got to switch up as well. Haven't you? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Don't yeah, want to become too stagnant. How far is that from from Birmingham? Um, it's about an hour and a half from Birmingham, but where I live, it's about two hours. I'm going to read you a quote from your uh, official fight press release that was sent out by Mr. Anthony Lever the day of the, the announcement. It was pretty short and sweet because, to be fair, there were so many quotes from all the other fighters on the undercard, usually you know, a couple of paragraphs, but this is just one. It says, he's a big puncher, a two-time and two-weight world champion. He'll come forward, no doubt, but he'll meet me in the middle. I truly believe this is my time to win a world title. That is a narrative throughout the build-up. I was looking back last night. You, know, you firmly believed that the stars have aligned and this was your moment. Yeah, 100%. I knew it was my time. And I just, yeah, I just had a good feeling about it. I just thought, this is, this is my time. And this is, you know, I, I picked this guy. Well, I didn't pick this guy, but I see he won the world title and I thought, I need my world title shot. I don't want to be fighting, you know, these yeah. kind of kids the same over yeah. and over again. It's time for me to, you know, be let off the leash. And um, we jump forward into fight week now. Quite an honest line you said at the press conference. I don't know if you remember where Eddie says, you know, Eddie gives it a usual spill. It comes to you. And you said, I've got the quote here. I don't know if you remember it at all. Hang on. You said, it's been a long time to wait. And I'll be honest, it wasn't a great training camp. It's been brutal. Now, don't hear that at all because it's always 95% of the time. Best training camp I've ever had. But you were, you know, wearing your heart on your sleeve and honest there. How brutal did it get in the build up to that fight? Yeah, it was hard. Very hard. Uh, everything about it sparring heavy bag which is ridiculously underrated even sh the shadow box I remember my last session my last hard session I think it was on a Tuesday and it was like I think it was 10 rounds just shadow boxing by the way and it was so hard I was just like I didn't expect to do it I don't basically I don't ask um, I never asked I did, I've done it once where I asked Rob like what we're doing today he said to me I oh, don't worry about it then I started warming up and I said to Rob, what are we doing today? He went, don't worry about it. Put me through some mad brutal session. It was like next level. Like 15 minute rounds. And I thought to myself, shit, I'm, asking, I'm never asking him again what I'm doing. He's done that on purpose. Wow. Um, and I so, guess yeah. presumably that's because it was the fight. It was like, you know, you have to go to them, them depths. All the years later, I never asked him again what we're doing. So, so like, that one. That, and that was early on in my, early on in my career, early days. And there's even in the last couple, in the last few years, I'd I'd bandage my hands and I take forever to bandage because I bandage them like they're a, like it's a fight. You bandage every set, you uh, tape everything, and we don't even punch anything in the shadow box. But I'll never ask him what we're doing. So that was that was one of the one of the sessions on fight. We've got bandage my hands, everything. Got I'm already um, extra careful because I'm fighting Saturday and there's some ten rounds of shadow boxing. But it was that hard. I was like winded and everything. I find it fascinating the one time you did ask that's what it led to it's, uh, sometimes things just align like that weird yeah, yeah, yeah. let's talk about Rob the man first of all you know you don't really see him in front of camera he's not really up for interviews and I totally respect it I, I, you know I guess with his Team GB sort of hat on I don't know what the 
legislations are about interviews and stuff like that. But you know, keeps himself to himself. Um, you've known him since forever, right? Yeah, yeah. What a guy. Yeah, can't even. Yeah, can't even. Um, just know known him for a long, long time. Just got on very well. How important is that? It's all well and good clicking from a you know fighter training perspective, but also I guess your friends as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Friend, friends first. That comes before boxing, I think. We have a lot in common. Obviously, I know his family and stuff like that. I know his brothers. Went to the same boxing club. Went to the same school. I didn't but, know that. Yeah, well, yeah. okay. Well. I grew up in the same areas, stuff like that. So, um, a lot in common. He knows what what we're like, you know, me and my brothers and that as well. He knows how to make you tick, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That comes with experience and trust. Most yeah, important. yeah, of course. But, um, yeah, I always trusted him and, yeah, from from day one, basically. And Rob, the, the trainer, bit of a master tech tactician i think a bit underrated to be fair you obviously had success with the likes of frotch and, and aj in recent years but when you sort of strip all that back and, and watch him as a trainer speaks very clearly very concise i've always felt watching him from afar his instructions are very very to the point you know it's yeah it's very clear and well considered his point yeah yeah 100 yeah, percent. and his experience you know you can't buy that you no know. no you can't buy that you know he's been all been all over as a, as a boxer as well yeah i think his boxing career gets overlooked actually yeah, yeah yeah probably in the last 10 years of this whole blow up of of boxing and him being in the corner for aj and stuff people do forget about his own career yeah, trained in trained over here in america yeah. you know in vegas and all over los angeles and obviously back in birmingham and stuff like that so um yeah and obviously all the experience he's got with frotch joshua um yeah some man I'd love to you'll never get him on here though no no well we had we tried yesterday didn't we we, we got him on with Galau on our sister po- uh, podcast um, he done a little segment which is quite fun if you haven't listened to that um, <laughs> go over and listen to the Flash Knockdown podcast that's probably the most you'll get out of Rob McCracken ever um, so we thank uh, Rob for his time on that going back to the press conference um, I always feel if you're fighting a, you know, a foreign opponent who can't speak English it must be a bit weird and on the top table was uh, Joe Forbes who used to sort of uh, work with Matchroom and, and be the, the foreign fighter liaison officer, if you want to call him that. And it was a bit of an in-joke running with um, with Joe. He would translate the fighters that he was working with into English very quickly, and it probably wasn't what they said, to be fair. <laughs> um, a nice guy. And the, the words that come back from Conception were all very respectful and, and sort of to the point. The day before at the workout, he went through quite a vigorous shadow boxing session, and I think he had like a minute of full-on blast on the pads. Could you sense at that point there might be an issue with the weight? No. Did we speak to Joe, spoke to Joe Forbes once Um Me and my brother seen him in the hotel and he said he's fine. Weight's no problem. Um, and he actually said he, he's got a bet on him to beat me. <laughs> Joe likes a bet, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, fair play. No, he's not, you know, he's straight up and being honest yeah whereas a lot would have, wouldn't have said anything but he said to me yeah I've got him as favourite to be you speaking to experience and that for you so I was like alright cool we'll see yeah I suppose fair play yeah but he didn't have to say that I suppose talk to us about fight week hotels so the listeners on this will just see the workout the press conferences the weigh-ins we just spoke before this started can be quite boring fight weeks a bit different now when you're not fighting but it's not a lot to do there's not a lot going on apart from, you know, a few media bits and bobs. Yeah, a little bit of, you know, a bit of media, you know, press conferences, photos, all that stuff. And then the weighing, but... A lot yeah, of time to yourself, isn't there? There is a lot of time yeah, to yeah, yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. What did you do to pass the time? Xbox, PlayStation, anything like that? No, I think one or two of my fights, we brought the PlayStation and played a bit of FIFA and that. But other than that, we just kind of just... I like, I, we like a bit of walking. Yeah. 
So yeah, we spin. You know, we go around, do a bit of walking, kill some time. Yeah, but it does get boring. It does. Yeah, it does. And uh, yeah, I can see where some fighters, you know, get into their into their own heads. Yeah. Yeah, sit there and well, we was just um, speaking with David Diamante, interviewed Joshua Franco, and he said, you know, he boxed in Japan recently, and he said, I think that one of the reasons he lost that is he had so much time to think about it, it kind of maybe just went to his head a little bit. So like you say, balancing that out is, is a difficult act, and I think overlooked and not something that our listeners will know about. So it's not all glitz and gamma as well. No, no, no. And he was a great fighter, right, Joshua Franco? Very I good. first fired with him in May Riverside. 2018 in Riverside, yeah. And then 2020, I got him to come to Dallas as well. Oh wow, that's some facility Riverside. I was there recently watching Bam's Bar. I can see it's not cold like it's probably a bit far, but proper professional setup. Yeah, they yeah, all yeah. they all know he's the boss, Garcia. It's, it's a cool little uh, cool little place. I'm sure you travelled around numerous locations like that. Yeah, yeah, um, throughout the years. Bit of fast forward a day to the weigh-in. We'll see. We touched on a minute ago. Conception coming overweight. I think he weighed 117 and a half pounds when he hit the scales, which is a lot. Uh, those weights in particular I think I'm right by saying he went for the towel straight away right he didn't even yeah, wait yeah, yeah, and then yeah. go for the towel so when you've met you obviously made weight first and foremost and then saw that what was going through your mind I just first of all thought oh shit I'm not going to fight and I was like all that training and everything I've been waiting for this and it's not going to happen but then um, Rob was like yeah, to relax go and, go and have a go and drink rehydrate whatever have some food relax go back to the hotel and Rob was like so you don't have to fight it was just like as calm as he always is. So he'd have to fight. He goes, you could push it back and you could fight in like April and you can fight for the world title in Birmingham, put it on in Birmingham or whatever. And I was like, nah, forget that. Bloody, I'm ready to go now. I'm fighting, I'm fighting tomorrow, don't matter. So I think he come back to the scales and lost only two ounces and was then stripped of the belt. It's interesting you say that about Rob saying about you could fight for the world title. So I was doing some digging in the last couple of days. And the official statement from the WBA, they obviously put a notification on their website after the weigh-in. It said, you might not fight for the title because you wasn't the mandatory challenger. Mm. I guess maybe you probably didn't even, you weren't even aware of that at that point. So it's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You was just, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting, no questions answered. Yeah, I was I was adamant. I was like, no, nah, forget that. I've trained forever for this. Uh, I'm ready to go now. And I thought, yeah, I, wanna, I just want to win the world title and just chill over the Christmas period and that. Yeah. How important is fighting before this side of Christmas for a fighter? Yeah, I think I think it is it is important. Um but it was for me anyway. I hate training in the winter, I hate training in the cold. So I always had it especially in my world title run and that I just I always fought in like May time, uh November time, you know. It was always that was that always worked well for me. <laughs> How important is rest after a fight as well? Yeah, rest is important. Very important. Um and as obviously as I got older I learned that. Yeah. Yeah, um, come back to the experience, right? Yeah, 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 of course. Pick it up as you go. Work on. smart and not hard. Um, well, you got to work hard, but, you know, yeah, don't overdo it. Because I think a lot of fighters leave you in the gym. Yeah, for sure. Fight day comes around, 10th of December. It's quite a, I was going to say traumatic, maybe a little bit far. Topsy-turvy day at the weigh-in. Like you said there, your head was probably a little bit all over the place. Was you going to fight, etc. Obviously, it's all cleared up. Only you can win the title. What do you do on a fight day? Have you got any superstitions? You mentioned you go for a walk. Do you go for a team walk in the morning? Is there certain foods you eat? Anything you watch in particular? Yeah, I would see whatever my nutritionist would say um, in the morning. So I just have my breakfast. And then I like to go for a walk after, straight after breakfast. Get my bowels moving. Get some fresh air. Um, wake myself up a bit. And then have a little little rest, little lie down. 
my bag's all ready and that, but before, I like to have a, I like to have a uh, cold shower. Um, what about the night before a fight? What time typically would you get your head down? Was you like quite routine or? Probably normal. Probably, or? I'll probably, I've always slept about midnight. And then wake up naturally? Wake up whenever, yeah. Naturally, wake yeah. up whenever. Yeah, I always find it fascinating. Some boxers try and go to sleep early. Some of them stop until the early hours, try and adjust to the time they're fighting. It's uh, it's interesting to hear all the different um, sort of outcomes and stuff. So you say you pack your bag. Was you someone who liked to get to the arena early, take it all in, or just when you're told? Nah. I've never been that, that bothered. I just get there whenever. Whenever I get the message, I'm getting picked up. I just go. Probably from Darren Fleurs, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Day Darren so. always sends the messages. Big up, Darren. <laughs> Big up, Darren. Yeah, one of the, uh, the unsung heroes behind the scenes here at Matchroom. Um, like we said earlier on, massive card from top to bottom. Superstars galore all over the place. Some of your, your peers and your friends obviously fighting as well. And, yeah. and Anthony Joshua at the top of the bill. Um, it must have been quite a special moment. Just not even winning the world title amongst them, but fighting amongst so many guys who were at the top of the game just shows you, you know, the esteemed company you were in. Yeah, yeah, of course. This is brilliant fighters on the card. I don't know. It was just a privilege to even share the card with them. But um, to be honest, I never thought about it before because my focus so, was just... Yeah. Head down. I must win. Yeah. Let's talk about and move on to the fight itself. Um, in your corner, Max, Mick the Rub and uh, Des Witter. With the three, and uh, like you say, you know, Rob was obviously working on stuff as well. Um, obviously, had AJ and whatnot. Des Witter, uh, I've known him for a long time. Just talk to us about his involvement in your team and who he is for, for people that won't know him. Yeah, he's a strength and conditioning coach, and I worked with him from when I first turned pro, yeah, until about 2020, 2021. Because this whole strength and conditioning thing, and look, I'm definitely not one to talk about this yeah. <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, it seems to have got a lot more scientific, a lot more to the forefront of just boxing in general, maybe in the last couple of years. But back then, what was the sort of sessions that you would go through typically, sort of day to day? Yeah, to be honest, I did a lot of circuit stuff, uh, deadlifts, um, a lot a lot, of the runs. Well, I didn't love the runs. I hated them, but he had certain runs on the treadmill uh, that used to kill me. The assault bike, I hate. Oh, God, even I hate that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I... I I've never wanted it to ever be too complicated because I th I think it can can get a bit too complicated. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hear. I'm a bit old school in that way where I just think boxing, boxing, it's a fight. Like if you get that right, that's some, that, that's the most important part. But I think a lot of people get too scientific. Yeah, too yeah. scientific with things. But yeah, yeah. So if you can hear a few sirens in the background, we're currently sitting outside a hotel, the Fight Hotel, during uh, Bam Sunny Fight Week. Obviously, Galaria fires on the card as well. So. Sounds like there might be a police chase going on in distance, so excuse the noise. We will try and reduce that uh, in post-production. The fight itself, you ring-walked second, I think, because yeah. of the title change. Yeah. What was your ring-walk music? Can you remember? Uh, Kanye West, The Good Life. But Eddie texted me before that, before the um, in, in earlier on in the day, and he, he let me know that I was going to walk second. Okay. And he, he said to me, he goes, tonight you walk second and you become champion of the world. Why did you pick that song? Did it any significant meaning or you just liked it? I liked it. I thought it's a good life, so yep. puts me in a good mood. When you got in the ring, you was faced with a um, Mexican luchador masked Lewis Conception. I suppose a bit different looking across the ring. You see him got a mask on. Yeah, and he looked massive. He looked big. Yeah. He looked, he looked stocky, strong. And I've, I said it before, one of my previous defences, and I remember get, getting in the ring and the arena was rammed. And... 
I looked up and it was rammed. And I looked up right at the top and it was just rammed. Yeah, the way that venue's built is yeah. stacked, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The tiers yeah. are stacked. It's quite quite steep. And I thought, yeah, that's when I thought, shit, it's, oh, it's on it. now. This yeah. is it. Like, don't get chinned in front of all these people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great venue for boxing. It really is. This is a bit of a nerdy question. Gloves, rivals, I think you wore that night. Why was they your weapon of choice? Um, was it sponsorship or just the way? No, no. I I tried different. I had loads of handling issues. Yeah. Throughout my career, that's what I was leading on to. Yeah. And it went through God knows how many pairs of gloves, um, and they were the choice that that that, that night. Going to talk about the fight now. So I've got notes about. We're not going to go through round by round by round, but I mean the open exchanges were so one-sided. I've got some sort of shorthand notes that I've wrote, which I just reel off, and we can we can sort of uh, chat over various points. So I got round one. You target the body early. You boxed them. Was moving well. Conception was coming forward, but he was a bit of a target. Is mm. that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess in a way that, you know, if he did have weight issues, maybe the sluggishness was evident from quite early, to be fair. Yeah. Round two, swift start, back and forth, your jab coming to play. The body shots were landing nicely under his right elbow. He clinched for the first time and notably felt it. He tried to fire back, but your defence was on point. He landed a straight right on the bell, which drew a smile from yourself. You must have felt, after sort of two and three, this was your night. Yeah, it was going so well. 100%. He couldn't have gone any better, could it? No, no, no. He started off perfectly for me. Howard Foster called a timeout in round number three. It looked like he was used his elbow quite early. I guess that was the first sign of frustration from him, um, and sensed that it wasn't going his way. I, I, I yeah, I, I, I sensed early. I knew he was getting frustrated. Yeah, you nailed him with a free punch combination from range, uh, and you backed him up, and you was really showing him who was boss early. I mean, if you could have picked four rounds to go the way they did in that world title fight that was probably it right it was yeah, the yeah. script was on point apart from chilling him early that was that was perfect yeah yeah which um obviously everyone would hope to do but uh realistically not always the way and you know a very tough world champion in the in the opposite corner uh like you say you had a a shot that i picked up on um it was sort of the left hook catch counter yeah, yeah. used a couple of times was that a shot you had earmarked in the build-up to to the fight as, as getting success um, not really. No, I think that's always been one of my shots. Anyway, catching Carl left up has always been a good one. Callum Smith throws it very well as well. Does he? And I think you know what? <laughs> I genuinely think he's going to knock out Paterbia in January. Um, Don't be surprised. Just yeah, it's a great, great punch. Um, he started to swing and was becoming a bit wild through five and six. And I think he put his head in at maybe the end of the fifth. You beat him to the punch. His balance was clearly off. Off, and those short, sharp left hooks were landing at will. He started to wake up a little bit, maybe in, in sort of six or seven, and maybe one around or two. But his head was bowed at the end of the sixth. And I think maybe at that point was telling that maybe even who knew it wasn't going to be his night. When you're in there, can you just... That's a bit of a weird, weird question to ask, but can you sense the life draining out of your opponent in that yeah, situation? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But um, I, I, remember, I remember he was getting very frustrated. I could tell by his body language. It was like as if I don't want to be here, just, you know... Going through the motions. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought, don't even look to try and stop him. Yeah. Just get, just win the rounds and that's it. Win the fight. Win, yeah. win the fight. That was the main thing in my head. And then any time we got close, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd tie him up, cat, you know, with them left hook counters. And yeah, just, yeah, box a good fight. The end of the seventh round on the big screens in the arena, Vladimir Klitschko walked through the corridor to a chorus of boos. Can you remember? Hearing that and thinking, what no, the fuck's this? No, 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 no. <laughs> totally zoned in. Totally zoned in, couldn't hear nothing. The only thing I could hear, um, apart from the corner, 
was Tony Bayou. <laughs> Who was very animated ringside yeah, yeah, at the yeah. best of times. Uh, I can imagine the sort of stuff he was saying. What can you remember him saying? I can't remember exactly what he was saying, but... Just heard that fixed scouse accent. I remember, yeah, I remember, I remember him shouting. And I remember looking at him from time to time because I, I think he was working for radio. So Yeah, working probably should have been a bit more professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony's so passionate about British boxing. Um, and obviously, I've known him a long time and yeah. go back from the amateur days. And stuff. Yeah, generally one of the nicest people I've ever met. Probably gets a bit unfair stick, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I can see why maybe people don't necessarily sort of see eye to eye with him on the surface. But once you get to know him, proper family man. Oh, yeah. He'd do anything for you, wouldn't he? As yeah, yeah, a friend. What a, what a guy, what a guy. Back to the fight. Uh, also, actually, sort of ringside. I think Daniel Sturridge was ringside. There was a few footballers. Um, there's a real star-studded lineup, presumably, because of AJ, first and foremost. But coming into the eighth, you were coming on strong. Did you think you might be able to get him out of there? I know you said a minute ago it wasn't necessarily at the forefront in your mind, but could you sense that you could get him out of there? No, it didn't, it didn't come to my head once. Never, never thought about doing it at all. To support, I stick to the game plan. I just box this shit out of him all night. You got a nod at the end of the eighth round, probably a slight acknowledgement that it was slipping away from conception. It was obviously known as the power punch going in. How did his power size up in the? He didn't really land. Let's be honest. But no, I think I think he caught me one right hand to the body, and if it might have been the end of the fourth, fourth, and I thought, yeah, shit, I don't want to get hit by that. Don't want to be getting hit by too many of those, and that was it. Tenth round, you put him over. His feet were a little bit tangled, but a punch clearly did land. At that point, you know, it's a matter of time, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, that's it then. I cast down my feet, basically. It's it's weird for a British fighter, not necessarily a British fighter, any fighter, to win a world title. It was so one-sided. Did you feel that you was going through the motions a little bit? How how did you stay disciplined? Obviously, you've had a sterling amateur career, we know, but... Yeah, I think I think just, it was just a mental thing, more than anything. Obviously, I'm not... I weren't stupid. I'm, I wouldn't blow smoke up my own ass, but I'm, obviously I know I'm a good fighter. Yeah. I'm a good fighter. Um, and I just knew that I was a bit too talented, a bit too sharp. And, yeah. Yeah. My discipline was the main thing, though. What was the instruction from the corner? Can you remember? Just boxing. Don't get involved. Um, yeah, that was it. Yeah, because the later he got, he was swinging wild. I think it was literally if he was punching air at some points. Um your concentration, like you say, discipline was was very evident in the the eleventh and twelfth. Just that moment where the final bell goes, you let that roar out. I suppose, in a way, you know that's everything, right? It's everything when you've left the Olympic cycle, you've been training for X number of years. That was the moment where I've done it. Yeah, it was mad, mad. Just, just you know when you know that all all the hard work you've you've done. Has paid off in that one moment. Yeah. And the brothers come in the ring with the t-shirts and the new. Did you know they had that printed? No, no, I didn't know. Didn't know. <laughs> There's a funny moment actually. I think it's Gamal puts the hat on you, and Eddie's like, "Hold up, hold up, just in case." You, you never know. The MC Craig Stevens brings you together, or tries to bring you together. Conception then jumps on the turnbuckle and jumps off like a WWE wrestler, um, which was peculiar. I've no idea what was going on there. Um, you got a smile out of it. And the scorecards were read out 120, 108, 117, 110, 119, 108. And the new, I mean, those three words, you must have dreamt of them for years. Yeah. Uh, How do you put it into words? You can't. Um, to be honest, I, I feel a bit, emotional, <laughs> a bit emotional thinking about it because it just it meant too much. It meant so much. Yeah. Especially where you, you know, you're a fighter, boxing, that was. Everything, right? Boxing is everything to you. You know, when you've done it all your life, 
it's just that when that moment when you read it out it was like you get flashbacks and everything you've been through like leading up to it yeah yeah it's crazy that's starting from like you're like a 13 14 year old kid what because i remember i used to leave the boxing club i'll be the last last guy out and it'd be pitch black it'd be pissing down with rain i'll be at the bus stop and you're probably thinking why am and i doing I could this? get mugged yeah. or anything why am i doing this yeah if it's in the area it was in you you, it, it, yeah, it's, it's raw. And when you look back, when I look back at it, I thought it was all worth it. Because if sometimes, sometimes we wait over like an hour waiting for a boss, it's pissing down my brain. I got school in the morning, but yeah, he's done it. He's just done it. And that one moment, no one can ever take that away from you. That no, no. Moment. And that's saying that that's um, after after I won the fight when I got back to the hotel, that was um, I had a text message from from Eddie, and he said to me that, you know. Congratulate me on becoming world champion. It was it was over the moon that I'd done it from debut to world champion, and um, no one champion of the world, and no one can ever take that away from me. Yep, that's so true. The two things I like about world champions, I think it was Darren Barker who highlighted this to me. Whenever you go to one of the dinner awards at the you know, the British Boxing Ball or the Writers Award, they always do at start a thing at the start. You know, stand up for the world champions, and you'll get a clap. So you you'll always be able to do that. And any time you're on TV, carry your fire, world champion. That's yeah. pretty special, to be fair. Yeah, don't oh, think about it, but maybe one now you've you know a month into your retirement, you'll start to to enjoy a little bit more. Um, we're going to talk about after the aftermath and, and stuff like that. First world champion, I guess in a way, the first world champion from Birmingham, um, it's like eighteen ninety. But I mean, not in theory, it was the first world champion from Birmingham. How important was that for you to represent your your people of Birmingham? Yeah, it's big. Um, it's making history. It's 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 there. So, you know, for the first world champion from Birmingham, and I was the first British super flyweight world champion as well. Yeah. So it's it's good to, you know, do these things. Yeah. Um, Put yourself in the history books. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And it's good for that for our family. It's good for the city. And then obviously, you know, we got, we got Galau who's made history, becoming the first Olympic champion as well. These are good little things. Think at the time when you won, you was the thirteenth. British world champion, current world champion. So yeah, great. yeah, that is mental. I mean, looking back, it wasn't that long ago, but that was peak. It felt like that was big. Like just boxing was huge. I mean, it still is now, but those years, I guess it was in a way that Joshua trained when he was at the peak of his game. Everyone was riding that wave, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. There's, um, yeah, I couldn't even name them all though. That man. yeah, yeah, I wouldn't even like to try. That's for another podcast as well. <laughs> You mentioned there about when you go back to the changing room and you got the message from Eddie. How did you celebrate that night? Did you do anything in particular? Did you friends and family, a bit of well, food? Yeah, it's, it's in, um family were with there. Barry come in. Um, he was like, yeah, do your first defence in Birmingham, which we did. But I actually went to hospital afterwards. Oh, really? Because the doctor comes and checks you, up, checks you oh. over. My hands were usually very sore. But I said to him, oh, I'll have a bit of a headache. And that was it. He was like, they'd say, oh, shit. He's got a day, we've got to get him to hospital. I was like, no, I'm all right, I just got a bit better. He said, no, no, you've got to go to hospital. So you spent, how, how so was you there for? I was there till, yeah, just just after the main event. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was there a while. I was going to ask, did you manage to get ringside and watch no, no, didn't get Chisora? I think, didn't get to do nothing. Got back to the hotel, couldn't get no no food or nothing. So we um, we got a taxi, me and my brothers. Got a taxi to a, probably the most greasiest kebab house I've ever seen. And you demolished a kebab? I, I didn't even finish it. I, was, I ate it in bed about Half three in the morning. <laughs> World champion. He's in bed with a kebab. <laughs> Love that. That is the, the realism of, uh, of the sport, which is great. Um, where does your belt live now? It lives 
in my in the hallway of my house. So it's on now. display. He spent about eighteen months after I won it in the boot of my car. Yeah, I remember meeting you at Sky a couple of times and you was lugging it around. Why did you not have it out for those eighteen months? Is it because you were still the world champion and there was no reason to? No, it's because every t every time I'd go places, people would want to see it, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, yeah, I just yeah. got it in my car. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot easier. <laughs> Saves me, you know, getting it out the the uh, trophy cabinet. Yeah. It's interesting, I was speaking to Ricky Burns, not on this podcast, but we do hope to get Ricky on soon, and he still hasn't got his belts out yet. They're still locked away, and he's like, you know what, I'm still not 100% retired. When I am, then I'll put them out, but gives me motivation to, to say I'm not done yet. Did you? I've asked everyone on this series so far, uh, Darren Barker, Tony Bellew, and Anthony Crawler, the same question, and I'll ask you. And each answer's been different, and it might sound a bit strange, but winning that world title, did you lose any desire or hunger at that minute because you'd reached the top? No, 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 no. There was more to come. Yeah. I love boxing. I've always loved boxing, so, yeah. And I'm sure if you asked Rob the question, he'd say, and he always says, he always says to me, he's like, yeah, he probably hasn't met a boxer that loves boxing as much as me. Yeah. And that's probably why it meant so much to you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like you say, it, you know, it is everything to you. In the aftermath, you had four or five defences of the, the world title. And, you know, let's be honest, not the names you probably wanted to fight off the bat. Was there some frustration there? despite the fact you were world champion? Yeah, of course. Um, I went and boxed in it. Well, come on, box over here in 2018, May 2018. And that was meant to... I defended and I shared the show with Anki Jazz yep. as because well, we meant to fight each other yep. in the unification. But um, they wanted no part of it. So that kind of fell through. And then this fight always fell through. Went to part of Strad as well, and he pulled out with hand injuries and... I think that was meant to be that was rescheduled again. There was another issue with, with his hands as well. What and a fight that would have been! What a fight that would have been, by the yeah, way. Yeah. Wow. And then we went into the chocolatito one. So sometimes having a belt, it's not as straightforward as it should be. Maybe. Nah, never is. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, you obviously did have the chocolatito fight, which didn't go your way. Um, but to share the ring with a legend, let's be honest, he is a living legend. Yeah, yeah of course, um, 100%. Just must be a you know a great caveat to have, obviously it didn't go from your way. But that was the kind of fight that you, you craved after that, right? Yeah, 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 100%, that was it. No regrets about it, apart from obviously. No, 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 but no, 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 no regrets at all. You had to roll the dice and, and yeah, see yeah, yeah. what the ceiling was, I suppose, in a way. And, you know, should you have beat him, you already, you already did crack it, but I mean, yeah, yeah, that yeah. would have been superstar level. Yeah, 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 of yeah. course. Um but he's just an unbelievable fire and, and that was it. And sometimes yeah. you've got to say, you know, the better man won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's no shame. I'd always, I'd always say that. Um, I'd yeah. always be honest. I always have been honest and that was, yeah, it was just unbelievable. Just talking about Estrada there and Chocolatito and obviously this, these these weights and this fight this weekend, this podcast will actually go out after the fight. So we won't know who would have won between Bam and Sonny and obviously your brothers in, in that mix. These divisions, as they have been for the last 10 years, are super hot. And it, I kind of get the impression everyone does genuinely want to fight each other. Is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Best fights always at the low weights. I totally agree, yeah. The, the, the champions fight each other, and it's just great. Hopefully Galal can get in the mix as well. Let's talk about Galal just to finish. You've now hung up the gloves. Galal's carrying the baton for the Yafai family at the minute. What's your role in the team apart from brother? Are you involved from a you know an advisory point of view, anything like that? I always have been. I've always been there uh, because I'm the older brother. I'm, I'm kind of like the advisor, so... I've uh, been around a long time. I've, I've done it, so you've got the t-shirt. You've yeah, you've got the belt. More importantly, I get. I, I always get the questions. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I always always be around to to advise Galal. And it's important to have 
you know, obviously family behind you, but people that know what they're doing and people you could trust. We spoke about trust earlier on. You know, unfortunately, in this industry, there are probably are people who are out to benefit from from fighters in in negative ways. But Galau is around people who he can trust, and which will ultimately allow him to focus on his own game inside the ring. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, obviously, I'm his brother. I'm with Rob there as well. Yeah, I could, I could trust Rob with anything. How far away do you think Galau is from challenging these guys for a world title? He would definitely. I think he'll definitely challenge for a world title in 2024. He's good enough to be anybody. Yeah, we obviously share that same sentiment. Maybe it's a little bit unfair. You know, he's coming into this game as the Olympic gold medalist. People expect him to fight and win a world title now. But in a way, you know, he probably does need a bit of a grounding right into this pro game. He is being fast-tracked. We can yeah. see that. But I think people have got to be realistic, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. But um, you can't please everybody. That's true. Um, so at the end of it, I've, and I say to him, you've got to do what's right for you. And we've got to do what's right for his career. At the right uh, time, yeah. Because if anything goes wrong... You only get one shot, this right? You get one yeah. shot, yeah. When you, when you make that wrong decision or wrong move, to be honest, nobody gives a shit, really. Like, they watch, the, you know, they watch it and then they go, well, he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have had that fight so early. Yeah. And then you, the next day, everyone just moves on. Or the next half an hour later, everyone's moving on with their lives. Yeah. And you're there, you know. And it's, you're the one who's got the... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So in... Wrapping up, and I really appreciate your time, mate. It's been great to look back and celebrate your your win. No regrets in your career. The only regret that I probably would is just like, but it's it's a hard one because I had such a long time out with inactivity after the yeah. Chocolatito fight. Yeah. But obviously with COVID and everything, some part of it was my own fault. Part of it was taken out of my hands with COVID and stuff. Oh. But yeah, inactivity is a big thing. Um, At the back end of your career, though. Yeah. And that plays its part. But apart from that. I can't crumble. I had, a, I, had a, I had a great career. I had seven world title fights. Um, it helped me, you know, put me in a great place with my family and everything moving forward. So, yeah. Yeah, you've got a young family now. Um, and like you say, your success in the game ultimately will help them develop their own lives and success in a, in a way. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't, it's all your fault. So, <laughs> carry a fire. Thank you so much uh, for the time over the last... 45 minutes or so yeah um, thank you great to, to relive that win uh, a dream well and truly achieved appreciate it mate thank you nah, appreciate it nice one